Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi, this is the Philosophical Angle program, and I am your host, Chris Angle. I am the author of four books on philosophy, one of which is The Nature of Aesthetics. And uh, these books are available uh, for viewing at thephilosophicalangle.com. If you'd like to uh, comment on the program, you can give us an email at chrisangle, C-H-R-I-S-A-N-G-L-E, the numeral one, at gmail.com. Along with me is my colleague and co-host, Rick Samuelson. Rick graduated from Yale as an MBA uh, from uh, Wharton and is an independent venture capitalist. Good to see you, Rick. Good to see you. The purpose of the Philosophical Angle program is to examine the nature of concepts being used in current media and, secondarily, uh, to use those definitions to understand the righteousness and ethical superiority of conservative positions. And uh, we're going to, this week, talk about the admission scandal that has uh, wrapped us several universities. And kind of what brought this up was an article in the New York Times called The Admission Scandal is Really a Sports Scandal. And uh, I have the uh, the article here, and um, it's by David uh, Leonhardt, and he opens with uh, an alleged admissions conspiracy is able to exist only because of the ridiculously large role that athletics plays in college admissions. He says, getting a peek inside the college admissions process isn't easy but a team of academic researchers managed to do so several years ago. Uh, He says that uh, the the biggest boost went to recruited athletes. An athlete was about 30 percentage points more likely to be admitted than a non-athlete with the same academic record. he says the uh, the alleged scam, um, if the accusations are true, he says they're outrageous. Uh, but they also highlight a larger problem that has somehow become acceptable. A scam like this could exist only because competitive sports occupy a ridiculously large place in the admissions process. And he says that the situation is different with other extracurricular activities. And he gives some examples how the athletic uh, program is boosted more uh, than other types of programs. Uh, so he concludes by saying it's time to end the uh, extreme special treatment that colleges give to, semi- to so many of them. College sports can still exist without it. Well, uh, I think we need to ask, um, is a university athletic tradition an important part of the university's culture? uh, Does this question really pertains not only uh, to these uh, scandals, uh, uh, but really to any university that has that that has an athletic program, uh, there were only some particular majors uh, that were caught up in the scandal. But should it be extrapolated into the entire 
future of all universities programs. So in general we're asking is it important for a university to to promote an athletic tradition within its culture? So so how do we determine this? How do we come up with a uh, with an answer of whether a university should involve itself with building an athletic program? What's our first step in being able to answer this question? Well, the, the first thing uh, to do is to understand the purpose of a college or university. And uh, I think that purpose is one of higher learning, obviously, which is to prepare the student for his, for his future. And uh, uh, of course, students require uh, higher knowledge at the university to uh, prepare themselves socially and for vocationally. And, um, and so we need to now compare this purpose of athletics, which is to promote the physical development of the student to the uh, as physical development of his biological being. Um, and uh, and compare it to the, the learning aspects. The, the student, um, the student's academic learning matches, of course, perfectly with the university's uh, first objective. But there seems to be a problem with the athletics. It's, it doesn't fit perfectly within the, the university's first objective. It, it seems only to fit in secondarily because the athletic programs uh, provide some antecedent learning, but there seems to be a, a conflict, and, and this writer from the New York Times has pointed it out. And uh, this is uh, because the universities have a developed athletic program. And also, if you, if you look back at history, we understand that in Western culture, though, many of the historical places of learning uh, also practiced and glorified uh, athleticism. Look at the uh, Greek tradition. Uh, they developed the Olympics. Uh, people of higher learning uh, have historically have placed a priority and a significance on on, a, on university on, on athleticism. And and why is that? Um, maybe we haven't defined the uh, the university's objectives uh, sufficiently enough to uh, come to a conclusion about this. Well, there's, uh, there's an old Latin saying uh, that might give us a clue to this, and it's mens sano incorpore sano, which means a, a sound mind in a, in a sound body. So what is lacking in our, in our understanding here? Uh, and I, I think it's because we have to include an understanding of athletics in order for us to, uh, to come to a sufficient answer. Uh, the Greeks and afterwards the, the Romans uh, understood that uh, the ultimate goal of the individual is to follow the aesthetic life. And uh, one should do that, which is beautiful. Uh, so really, the, the purpose of the university should be expanded to include aesthetics, or that which is the study of beauty. Uh, the student should, should be learning... Uh, should be directed uh, by that which is aesthetic, uh, which includes learning, 
but it also includes the uh, complete development of oneself. I think we need, we need to stop and uh, and uh, should probably define the uh, the concept of of aesthetics. So I'll do that now. So aesthetics is the extreme of what nature has produced in any particular niche. That is, beauty is the extreme, the extreme evolutionary development of any niche that has uh, that has been produced by nature by by evolution. And uh, the extreme, that which is a uh, which is exemplified by. Uh, best by the organism's success in its niche uh, to exist, to survive, uh, to prosper, and bring goodness to its life. Uh, if it's an extreme in, in that, with that objective, it's aesthetic. Uh, a couple of examples here would be uh, like a, uh, uh, an Arabian horse. It's an extreme in its niche in which it's, it's, it exemplifies how evolution was able to go far, uh, so far in that particular niche and has produced such a, a great animal. Even, but it doesn't necessarily stop with the uh, animate. It can also in the inanimate. If you look up the stars at night, if you look up into uh, uh, the out over an ocean, and uh, you can see you have the feeling of aesthetics and beauty and the reason you do is because you, uh, your aesthetic sense gives you the understanding that uh, what you see is conducive uh, to being uh, for your existence for your prosperity and uh, for your goodness of your life and so if we let uh, aesthetics guide us uh, we can uh, avoid the conclusion of the termination of the athletic programs, uh, as the New York columnist uh, uh, pointed out. Uh, but let's, uh, enough of me. Let's see what, uh, what Rick has to say, especially since uh, his university was uh, caught up with the, in this uh, particular problem. Rick, what's your take? Well, athletics... Throughout history, all has been known as a very important means of uh, fostering discipline, uh, cooperation when you serve, when you when you compete on the team, um, competition, right? Uh, and um, it's it's no accident that many of the most successful professional people are also very good at sports. I mean, you find this on Wall Street, you find it in a lot of areas of business, uh, because many of those uh, qualities are directly applicable to real life. Um, and by contrast, uh, pure academics uh, are often much less successful in the real world. Um, you know, our greatest military generals have not tended to be uh, steeped in pure academics. Uh, some of our best presidents were not academicians. Um, you see it over and over. Our business leaders, there are many, many business leaders that um, 
had relatively little education and but were quite successful uh, in sports and other activities. So <clears throat> the notion that sports um, doesn't play a useful role in molding an individual, not exclusively, but importantly, is you know is not uh, demonstrated in, in real life experience. That would be the first point. The second is that certainly with the in the Ivy League, there are no um, athletic scholarships, right? So that is one reason Ivy League teams tend to be rather poor by national standards. And you could possibly put a Yale football team or basketball team up against, um, you know, one of the state schools. Um, the gap is, is too wide. Uh, and that holds for most of the Ivy League teams. So <clears throat> to think that the Ivy League in particular is overemphasizing sports at the expense of other avenues of human endeavor, I, I think that's a fairly weak case, just judging from the performance of their teams and their athletes. Um, and I also think the article misses the mark in terms of what's really responsible for this uh, catastrophic decline in, in, in honesty uh, and focus on meritocracy at so many universities. And mind you, uh, this investigation is still unfolding, and uh, all the indications are that the number of guilty parties uh, is, is numerous, numbering the hundreds. And we've, I think only about 30 parents mainly have been charged. Uh, so more, much more is yet to come. What we've discovered uh, thus far, however, is that uh, gaming the system takes all kinds of forms. There are students that are white that have claimed to be black. There are students that have cheated on the exams, like the ACT and the SAT. They've had other persons take the exams for them. They've been able to get special handicap accommodation uh, and get the exams monitored by, shall we say, friendly individuals um, alone in a room with no other, uh, no one else um, monitoring. There are all kinds of ways uh, the system is being gained. So <clears throat> the admission system it itself <clears throat> is corruptly managed. There's obviously a lack of control. It's very broad. It, 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 it's in many areas. It applies to the sports teams. It also applies to checking to, to, to see what the actual racial identity of an individual is. Uh, because if you miss something as obvious as that, it's pretty clear you're missing, you know, pretty basic information about a student. Um, but but why why is it is it how is it possible all these distortions um, are allowed to occur so broadly? That's that's the central question. And to my mind, uh, what it comes down to is an ever-growing uh, impulse within the universities to uh, change the focus from 
the concept of meritocracy within the context of trying to develop well-rounded individuals to something that more closely resembles an attempt to centralize control within the admissions department such that it is able to concoct a class that champions diversity over more traditional bases for deciding on who gets admitted. And therein lies enormous scope for mischief because you're putting the ultimate power in the control of nameless administrators who basically decide their own criteria based on whatever social agenda they have, and I'm deliberately putting this in the extreme, as opposed to an objective set of criteria by which one could be admitted. Let's contrast what we now find to be the U.S. approach, which is obviously flawed, against that of other countries. I remember visiting the Ecole Normale in Paris and having a discussion with one of the French academics, and they were critiquing the U.S. admissions policy, and particularly the policy of admissions at Yale, because in their mind, the single criterion by which a student was admitted there was a score, a test score. You either scored above a certain level on the national test, or you didn't. And to them, that was fair. Objective, in the sense of being objective. And if you fail to reach that score, I mean, this is one of the best universities in France. It's one of the Grand Ecoles and so forth. It's equivalent to one of the Ivy Leagues or Stanford or MIT or whatever. And so in their view, by diluting the admissions policy with all these other factors, you probably weren't getting the best students. And in fact, you were unfairly turning away students that should have been admitted in favor of students that were less qualified. That was their fundamental critique of the U.S. system. And they have a point. They have a point. I'm not suggesting for a moment that the U.S. system, be it Yale or any of the other Ivy League schools or similar schools, needs to move to that extreme. But if you don't want these kinds of distortions where the system gets gamed, you need to have objective criteria. I would go a step further. And I would suggest that it's high time the Ivy Leagues made the criteria by which they admit students public knowledge. They are publicly funded universities. They derive enormous funding from the federal government from taxpayers. They owe it to the taxpayer. They owe it to the public to come clean. And in fact, that's what the lawsuits are about, particularly the one at Harvard. But it's the same issue everywhere. The universities have been very, very defensive about not revealing these criteria. And one has to assume it's because 
it's indefensible. There's got to be a reason they're not honest about it. It has to be. One has to assume, it, it, you know, in the absence of other uh, information, that uh, something's not quite objective there. And that they, they could clearly err in a, in a minute. They could reveal the criteria uh, and announce it publicly. They could announce it in the New York Times, uh, but they won't. And so one has to remain very, very suspicious of their motives. And one, hopefully, um, this scandal will lead to a requirement that the universities are more honest about how they actually operate. And it will probably require turning over uh, a number of administrators and presidents of universities and uh, boards of trustees as well, because their oversight has obviously been uh, lacking or non-existent. Good. Thanks very much for uh, uh, for your insight. I thought it was uh, pretty helpful in understanding the subject. And we'll see everybody again next week on The Philosophical Angle. Thank you for joining us on The Philosophical Angle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment.